1: NY or text hope NY in New York.
2: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the On the Pony Express podcast. I am Billy Embody. Thanks for listening. We've got a fun show for you guys today. We're going to be joined in a little bit by Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger. So be sure to stick around for that interview. We'll have that to you guys in just a bit. He's here to talk Pac-12 expansion, uh, realignment, where SMU fits in, all of those things. Uh, appreciate Ross fitness in right before he heads off for a little European vacation. So if you're an SMU fan out there uh, wondering uh, if you're going to get some big news on re- realignment, last time uh, that happened, I was in Europe. So maybe Ross will bring SMU some good luck as he goes out for a European vacation. Now, we're going to lead off, though, with some more SMU football talk, uh, because that is what is really driving the bus outside of conference uh, realignment and expansion. And I do want to share with you guys some additional notes just kind of as we're going through spring practice for SMU and kind of watching how things are and how how the team is trending and things like that. And I want to share some notes with you guys just on some of the key position battles that have begun to unfold early on here. And I'm going to you know, hone in on a few. And I want to start with the wide receiver group because this is a group that As we've watched it, I think it's very clear right now that Jordan Curley is emerging as a potential star receiver. And we've seen what he's been able to do when he's been healthy. We've seen how he's been able to make big plays. And quite frankly, whenever he's out there, SMU has won at a very consistent level. So for Jordan Curley, I've watched him in the spring. I've watched him work. um, Saw him do punt return, kick return drills as well. He's somebody that I think is going to have a massive impact on SMU season. He's a starting receiver. I don't think there's very much debate about that. But the two other spots I'm getting more and more intrigued by as the spring goes on. And I'll list off a couple reasons for that. I'll begin with the slot position where Jake Bailey is being brought along slowly coming off of his injury. Rhett Lashley said that over the weekend. But that has allowed Roderick Daniels, who we spoke with uh, on Tuesday after practice, to really step up and get more reps. And the thing with Roderick is he's playing with a very high level of confidence right now. And I think that's important for a receiver because, and we'll kind of touch on this with the other outside receiver spot, Roderick got back to the team and and he also added in his interview on the on the Pony Express YouTube channel, you can watch it how much it meant that Rhett Lashley and the team welcomed him back into the fold with open arms. And that allowed him, along with how they used him and got him the ball, to really just focus on playing fast and playing uh, with a lot of confidence. And you can see him continue to build off of that this spring. So I think Roderick Daniels and what he's going to bring to the table is a little underrated, even with how highly thought of we have Jake Bailey at the slot position. So it's becoming clear that SMU is going to have two really good, you know, options at the slot receiver position and they'll be able to factor in Jackson Lavender, who has come in and been really prepared. He's been thick uh, as far as his frame goes. He's not a tall guy by any means, but he's just physically kind of ready to go. He's caught everything thrown his way. It seems like he's been competitive in practice. I think he's somebody that is starting to trend towards maybe a few snaps a game in that slot position when Jake Bailey or Roger Daniels aren't out there. We flip over to the other outside receiver position, and this one is getting a little bit more buzz, I think, on as I've taken practice because Moochie Dixon has elevated his game. He's elevated his compete level, and I feel like with Moochie, after he had about 400 yards receiving last year, it started to click for him late. And we've seen him make a couple of really... Tough catches in practice. Uh, he's been open. He's been able to make plays down the field, and I think his comfort level in this offense is improving. On the flip side of that, Keyshawn Smith, the Miami transfer, has had some struggles with the drops here or there in practice, but he also brings an edge to the table. He he kind of got into it with Kavaris Hall, who was kind of holding him on a deep route, and I think that competitiveness between Mucci and Keyshawn, you know, is going to. Bring the cream to the top. You're going to have somebody step up at that position who's going to be battle tested in the sense that both have played college football and both have made their fair share of plays throughout it. Um, at least for Miami and then for now SMU in the last year for Mucci, those two guys are really starting to emerge into a true battle for that outside position. And that's before you know Dylan Goffney, wherever they fit him in, comes back. Um, Jamarion Carroll enters the fold this summer. Those are all things to watch at that position. I feel like watching that wide, that wide receiver room, it's becoming evident that it's a, it's a little bit more competitive than I think we even thought. Ben Sparks at right guard is also staking a big claim to being a starter this fall. Justin Osborne sitting out, recovering from an injury. Ja'Kai Clark and Logan Parr aren't on campus yet. They've even kicked Dalton Perdue inside to left guard with the second team. They have Cam Irvin playing at guard right now. He's staking a claim to a starting job. And when Ja'Kai Clark and Logan Parr get on campus and Justin Osborne gets back, that group is going to be a really, really interesting battle to watch for who gets those starting guard spots. Um, And we we really can't necessarily take away too much on the other guys because Justin Osborne's hurt, but he's played a lot of good football for SMU. Cam Irving's played multiple positions for SMU. And then you have the transfers who are going to come in and factor in as well. That's going to be an interesting position battle to watch. But as far as the battle this spring goes, I think Ben Sparks has certainly made some waves for SMU on that front. Flipping over the defensive side of the ball, the linebacker position, you have Ahmad Walker, who's going to be a clear-cut starter. And I got to give Jaquandus Burns a good bit of credit here because he has come in to spring and, first of all, looks physically ready to go. But he's also brought a lot of physicality to his game. He's added that he's playing with confidence in year two in this system, and he's not going to go down easy to an Alex Kilgore or a Chris Adamora when it comes to who's going to be the starting linebacker next to a mod walker. And I think that's great for this room. I do think whoever lands that starting spot next to a mod walker is going to be one that we're going to have to watch, you know, just as far as consistency because, You're going to have either Jaquandis Burns, who showed some flashes last year. You hope that he can build off of the start to his spring so far. Or you're going to have Alex Kilgore, a true freshman, who's going to be coming off the bench at either linebacker spot right now. He's got the size to honestly play both and kind of come off the bench. But then you have Chris Adamora coming in, and how does he fit into that room now that he's moved down from safety? You also have Cam Farrar kind of sticking around in that battle as well. So very intriguing position. To watch is a linebacker room, and what they're going to, uh, you know, go through on that front, and and who's going to take that battle. Um, I think that's really, really key um, for how this defense is going to look. We've talked about how good the uh, defensive line looks as far as physically. Um, you have multiple guys up there who have size, who have experience on many different levels. Uh, Jordan Miller and Elijah Roberts have factored in well, uh, but the linebacker group and who rises to the top is going to be really interesting uh for that you know i i i don't think it's going to be a group that uh we sit there come game 1 and necessarily feel the best about because there are going to be some questions still left to be answered but it is a it is a group that does have competition and it's probably the biggest position battle on the defense because there are question marks with necess- with with those guys who are trying to battle next to mod Walker and trying to get back, you know, into that starting lineup uh, and make waves. If you're Jaquandus Burns or if you're Alex Kilgore or Chris Adam Morris. So the linebacking group hasn't necessarily been settled by any means yet. And it's becoming one of the hotly con- contested position battles of spring. And that's before we even see SMU potentially add a transfer into that room this off season. I'll finish on the position battle front with, a spot that I think is, is going to be really good for SMU. And for a couple of reasons. I think the nickel spot is going to be a really strong group for SMU because you have Brandon Crosley returning, who's coming off of a strong finish to the 2022 season. We covered it. Um, he made some key plays for SMU. He last year was probably somebody that was a little frustrating because You'd see him talk a lot of noise. You'd see him make some big hits here and there. But on the flip side of it, he'd also have some struggles as well when it came to coverage here or there or being a consistent tackler. They're working the tackling uh, a lot during spring ball. And Brandon Crosley has made some plays. He had some really nice breakups. He's been as competitive as I've seen him since he's arrived at SMU. So I think he's somebody to certainly watch on that front when it comes to um you know just how how he's going to battle for that spot and the reason why this is becoming a position battle is kind of what we thought going into spring cj sanders the fresno state transfer has come in and he is playing at that nickel spot he's somebody that has a little bit more size than you would think listed at about 5'10 5, 5, 180ish pounds he plays with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and so For that reason, I feel like he's going to be somebody to really watch at that position. But we are joined now by Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger. So we're going to bring in Ross right now, good friend of uh, us here at uh, On the Pony Express, who's going to talk a little conference realignment, a little Pac-12 expansion, and maybe how SMU fits into that. Ross, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Where are you going in Europe? Let's start there.
3: Yeah, I'm a few hours from uh, taking off uh, for the airport. I'm going to uh, Amsterdam, Belgium,
2: and Paris. Excellent. Well, you guys can find Ross on Twitter. Send him your recommendations for all those spots. Love Amsterdam. Love Paris. Uh, Know you're going to enjoy the time off before college football heats back up this spring. I'm sure you'll be on the tour once you get back from there. But before that, we do have more conference realignment uh, to watch for. It's been an ongoing process. Ross, I I wanted to bring you in to kind of give us the high level view of where you see conference realignment right now, especially in regards to the PAC 12 and kind of how, how that process is going and, and where do you see it standing right now? Well, um, I think the, uh, the dominoes of another realignment
3: wave, I think are contingent on, uh, the PAC 12 media rights deal, a TV deal, which I think a lot of people had circled this week at the men's basketball tournament for something to be revealed. And that's not going to happen. So it's going to be pushed probably to late March, if not even into April for something, which probably isn't, um, doesn't give you much confidence in a deal, but these deals do take a while. Um, So I think if, you know, if the PAC 12 deal, is comparable to the Big 12, which which most would say money wise it should be. Um, then I think you'll you'll have the conference hold together and and probably pick up a couple of new teams, which uh, obviously been looking hard at San Diego State and SMU uh, to to get back to 12. Um, if the Pac 12 TV deal falls well below um, the Big 12s, then you could have you know two to four teams in the, in the PAC 12, uh, specifically in the PAC 12 South break off and, and, uh, go to the big 12, which, which obviously would probably crater the conference. Cause at that point you'd have Washington and Oregon just sitting out there and they would probably be plucked away potentially by the big 10. Um, and, and you would probably have a, you know, you'd, you'd have a power four at that point, um, and instead of a power five. So. A lot of that has to do with the Big Ten TV deal and the, or the uh, Pac-12 TV deal. And it's not just the money I think that they would compare with the Big 12's deal, which is around $31 million a year for in distribution for each team. It's not just the money, though. I, I think it's the visibility as well. Um, Big 12 has Fox and ESPN. Pac-12, we're talking about a lot of streaming. Apple, Amazon type of situation. Maybe ESPN has a part of that. But are they going to have a big enough part of that to be to be visible enough? So, um, a lot of it's contingent on that deal, which you know I, w- I would hope within the next two to four weeks we'll we'll know a little more details about.
2: When we see various reports and kind of shed try to sh- shed some light, if you can, on this for for some of our listeners, you see reports that this is in the final stages potentially the media rights deal and the negotiations can you kind of give some context to maybe why they don't necessarily know the exact or or a ballpark of dollars that would be pushing, you know, this closer to completion or why it wouldn't, they already know if there were, if it was less than maybe that they, they wanted in terms of, you know, what would push them to look elsewhere from the, from the league? Well,
3: you know, I think that, um, these negotiations not only take a while, but um, they they just they change through the course of days and weeks and months, um, you know. And and obviously, if right out of the gate, you know, the Pac-12 had a chance in the they had a negotiating window with um, with ESPN and InFox, I believe their right current rights holders. They had like a I think a sixty day negotiating window back in the fall. And so they could have got something done there, and the fact that they didn't probably doesn't ring of of uh, real optimism. Because um, if it was a good enough offer from ESPN and Fox, they would have probably had a had a, a good enough deal, and and they would have they would have signed on. You would think so. The offer wasn't what they wanted, and so they opened it out to the market, and that involves you know a lot of different companies, um, including like I said, a lot of streaming, Amazon's, the Apple's um you know espn streaming espn plus and all that so you you when you open it up it takes even more time and you have a lot of different bids and conversations and negotiations i'm sure george glav the commissioner has some kind of idea where it will be um some presidents of schools probably have some kind of idea of where it will be uh the fact that you're seeing enough reports trickle out about kind of a dire situation probably tells you that uh, two things one there's not a whole lot of confidence from some of the pac 12 that the deal is going to be um, what they would hope for um, but also it tells you that the big 12 is being pretty aggressive and might be themselves leaking some of that um, some of that news to try to kind of disparage the pac 12 in a way and and um it and maybe lead to a division there in the pack in the pack 12 so um I'll, I'll tell you on this on this issue it's been you know me me and my colleagues at si we've kind of stayed away from this pack 12 big 12 realignment stuff just because there's um there's a lot of misinformation out there a lot of inaccurate information uh i think that both sides in a way are using people to kind of get their side out there and it's just really messy and murky um so unless something's imminent we've kind of stayed away uh until something's imminent which i think could be you know later this month we'll know a little more but but these things take time and um you know I, i think they're looking at a couple of things again it's more than just about money i think it's also about the visibility of the conference um like i had one Kind of high level pack twelve official told me yesterday that uh, you know if if it's fifty percent if it's more than fifty percent streaming uh, for their deal streaming only more than fifty percent that that they they would prefer not to do that um so it's it's just it's more than about money it's it's a complicated issue
2: what what is your your take on streaming and and you know there's ESPN Plus. I mean, we, especially SMU fans, use the app a lot because they get a lot of ESPN Plus games uh, for various sports. But how do you see streaming heading, and what would an Amazon or or an Apple necessarily mean for streaming and how it's either accepted or not in the college college world?
3: Well, I mean, I don't I don't think it's any secret. You know, streaming is the future. It's the future of especially live sports. Um, however, we're we're not quite to the future yet. So. You know, in 20, even I'll I'll go as far as saying 2027, you know, four years from now, um, it would reason that, that, uh, we would be, the generations would be advanced enough that, uh, streaming would be, you know, a a pretty significant part of how we watch TV, including especially live sports. Um, you take it a step further and go three more years to 2030, you know, and and again, it's just with each passing year, I think you get more into the streaming. But in twenty twenty three or in twenty twenty four when this deal is supposed to start, you know, it's it's just it's hard to see. Um linear is still important. It's just it's still an important part. Uh and and I think it's important enough to where it needs to be a bigger chunk of of a of a TV deal. Um you need to have Again, at that as that Pac-12 official said, you to have more linear than you'd have streaming right now, and that might not be the case in 27 or 2030s, especially, you know. And, and I think Disney and ESPN are kind of preparing for that. If you read the tea leaves a little bit, so it's just not um, we're not there. We're not to that point yet. Um, but that said, the West Coast and the with you know the Pac-12 footprint. In a lot of ways, it's more progressive and tech savvy and all that stuff. So a lot of the people out there, you know, probably certainly compared to the southeast, probably are, um, you know, more uh, more digitally friendly, I guess, more streaming friendly. So but still, we're, we're in an age where I think so many people still rely on linear that whatever the deal is needs to be. Significant portion of it needs to be on linear.
2: You have wrote that article, of course, on the SMU tc rivalry this fall. So you've you've been talking with some SMU folks over the last you know year or so uh, around all of that. But as far as SMU with this Pac twelve expansion and and their standing, what have you kind of picked up when it comes to SMU and and maybe how the league views them if that if that's even you know, something you've picked up and and what, what a deal might mean for them? Well, I think that, um,
3: you know, the way, I don't know you know this, but a lot of the listeners probably don't, is the big chunk of, of a conference's revenue is through the uh, TV dollars. Uh, and those are determined on TV viewership. And viewership is often higher in metroplexes and bigger cities like Dallas-Fort Worth area and so i think um smu is attractive because of the because of the the viewership uh there the the big metroplex getting a a kind of a a um having a a a footprint in in texas the state of texas for the pac-12 was probably important um i think for the acc it's important too i you know i know that um the ACC's in a bind, and and uh, there was some thought that at least at some point over the last year or so that SMU and the ACC had had discussion, but obviously those weren't at far along and weren't as serious, um, but I think any conference would tell you, and you look at what the SEC's done, right, getting into Texas with A&M, getting into Texas with the University of Texas, uh, would tell you that a foothold in Texas brings a lot, and not only population and TV viewership, but uh recruiting, uh, football recruiting is so so important there, so significant. It's such a fertile area. And to have a school there where you're playing, you know, uh in football maybe once at least once every couple of years, you you you're you know, you're playing there and basketball maybe every year, uh those things reap, reap benefits, reap recruiting benefits. For so for those reasons, those are the kind of the obvious reasons. You know, uh SMU um In this nil era that we're in um obviously is has made made some strides in i think compared to a lot of group of five schools they're they're on the wealthy side they have they have more resources than a lot of these other schools um you know and they can do a little more and have a little more freedom because they're a private school and so that's attractive too i think uh to uh, a lot of conferences.
2: You mentioned the potential that, you know, a TV deal falling apart or, or not being near what is required for PAC 12 schools to stick together could crater the conference in your eyes, at least not trying to predict the future, but if that did happen, what would the PAC 12 look like? Would it be a conference that would have to get aggressive and pursue somewhere around six schools and be a true, Shell of itself, or would you see departures left and right, and the league completely fizzle out? What's the, I guess, the worst case scenario for the Pac-12? What does it look like um, if if something did fall apart, and potentially does it include SMU still?
3: Yeah, I um, I, I think the worst case scenario probably is the the four corner schools: Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah going to the Big Twelve and then Washington and Oregon at that point being in such a desperate situation that that um they would probably um send envoys to the Big 10 that they would they would take even a partial distribution cut to join that league and that would probably be enough to entice the Big 10 to 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 take them and get a pairing with USC and UCLA so in that case where you would lose six schools that leaves you with four remaining stanford cal both of which you know don't invest a ton in in college athletics i mean they compared to others they do invest a lot but not compared to others and then you have oregon state and washington state which are are two very remote places um that just don't bring a lot of viewership and eyeballs um and, and have not historically had a lot of success so those four teams, you you you, I guess you'd try to build something around those four teams. Um, if that were if that were the case, then you would think they'd still be interested in San Diego State and SMU. It may be interested in a couple more. You'd you'd have to round that out. I think a lot of people would say at that point though that uh, the Pac-12 just might not, might no longer exist, um, and and you would have it basically dissolve like the old. Um, uh Southwest conference or the big eight, uh it would just kind of dis dissolve in a way. Uh but I don't know. Um that that would probably be the worst case,
2: you know, scenario. Uh we'll get you out here on this, uh on a little you know brighter note for for our listeners here. What do you see SMU doing if it does get that Pac 12 invitation and what does it mean for the for the program overall? And is there a chance that if a deal was reached by end of the month, early April. Do you think there's a shot that SMU could pay the exit fee and be playing by 2024 in the Pac-12?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, the American has negotiated in the past with with teams on early exits. So I can definitely see them, yeah, uh, uh, leaving and joining by 24. Um, and, and I would think they want that, obviously. They, they've been pretty public. That's one thing, you know, a lot of schools – Maneuver in the shadows and stuff from, uh, with this um, conference realignment, but SMU's been pretty public and open with it that they'd like to be a power, a power Five program. They they believe they're they're a Power Five program, and I think they've been jockeying for a couple of years now at least to to move up. Uh, and we're kind of left um, behind a little bit in the Big Twelve shakeup there. And and I think I know that too, that was frustrating. So. Um, you know, I think I think they would be um, certainly running to that, you know, that invitation. And, uh, and I think they, yeah, that the American has been in the past pretty open about uh, exit fees. So I, I would think they could get out within a year.
2: Ross Dellinger, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it and enjoy Europe. I know you'll have a blast and uh, we'll obviously catch up and. You and I will keep up on uh, how the trip's going, I'm sure. All right, Billy. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate your time. And thanks for listening to this edition of the On the Pony Express podcast. Hit that subscribe button for us on our YouTube channel. If you like what you hear, you'll get more SMU practice highlights, interviews, much, much more as we continue to track spring football as well as Pac-12 realignment and conference expansion with regards to how SMU fits in. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated we will catch you guys next time on another edition of the on the pony express podcast
0: madness is here say goodbye to busted brackets because fanduel lets you bet on every game of the tournament whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed it's time to go dancing on america's number one sports book right now new customers get $200 in bonus bets if you're first